libertarians claim that they don't want to legislate morality. That is not true. Of course they want to legislate morality. They want to legislate a very minimalist, radically individualist morality. So we're all in the business of wanting to legislate morality. We disagree about which morality ought to be legislated. And I think the argument on behalf of conservative morality is that it really is the only one that is sustainable. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Christmas dinner with extended family is just the best. Warmth and love, laughter, food, and of course... Politics. Fortunately, I grew up in a family where everybody, for the most part, agreed with each other. So instead of arguing who's right or wrong, it became a contest of who could outdo each other in making the same point. For most of my life, that was how it was. Until around 10 years ago, the conversation started to shift and I started noticing a divide. Maybe you did too. Congressman Paul, you call your campaign a revolution, and I think it's safe to say that your brand of change is one of the most sweeping proposed by any candidate of either party, but getting your agenda through Congress would likely require a revolution of an entirely different sort. So how would you adjust your plan in light of political reality in Washington? Well, the secret is, is the uh, term revolution uh, wasn't my word, and it didn't come up on our webpage. It, it was coined by the supporters. But in a way, it is revolutionary to go back to the Constitution. And uh, we'd like to continue the old revolution. And uh, believe me, uh, freedom is unifying. We bring a lot of people together. People then are free to choose what they would like to do with their lives, free to choose how they would spend their money. And all of a sudden, we wouldn't be telling other countries how to live. But so this brings Congress. people together. And I think it's appealing to both left and right and middle. And our Our campaign really has that appeal, so therefore we would bring the Congress together. Okay, thank you. In case you didn't already know, that was Congressman Ron Paul back in 2007 in Iowa at one of the first Republican presidential debates for the 2008 election cycle. His libertarian message changed the narrative. He started to question foreign policy fiscal policy, and he inspired people to question the day-to-day here in Washington, D.C. It was a voice for all of those out there who want to just be left alone by government. It was a welcome message. Even though Ron Paul ran as a Republican, he's actually a libertarian. So the question then is, is what do libertarians believe? Here's a brief CNN video of former presidential candidate Gary Johnson explaining some of the differences. 
Libertarians are fiscally conservative, and socially they really don't give a damn as long as you don't force your social whatever it is on anyone else. I do not support a federal minimum wage. I do not believe in the death penalty. I absolutely support a woman's right to choose. Deporting 11 million illegal immigrants I think is a crazy notion. I think that we should embrace immigration. Libertarians are non-interventionists. When you watch television, when you read the newspaper, there are only two parties. He's running. Democrats and Republicans. Well, that's not true. When I first heard that clip, a part of me was cheering and the other part of me was cringing. I'm sure you can guess the parts. Anytime he talks about economics, I'm applauding. And not so much the other issues. So the next question I ask is this. What would our nation look like if market economics and the libertarian view of, essentially, anything goes as long as it doesn't hurt someone else. What if that ruled? What would society look like if drugs were legalized or our borders were wide open? Would we truly be more prosperous? Would we be safer? Would we be Americans? This week, David Azarad makes the case as to why conservatism is better for America than libertarianism. He's the director of the Simon Center for Principles and Politics and the AWC Family Foundation Fellow. In this unapologetic Take No Prisoners interview, he explains. So, David, it's fun to have this debate here in Washington, D.C., where people live and breathe kind of wonk speak. Um, and while this is kind of a bit wonky, I, I do think that these differences are vast and consequential for the future of our nation. And I think it's important for all of us to understand why we believe what we believe. So let's just dive in here. How do you explain this to people who have not done a deep dive on political theory and, and why should they care about the differences between libertarianism versus conservatism? I think if you're on the right, here's the problem we have. I mean, we have many problems, but here is a big one I see. That we, th- we think and talk like Randians, like hardline libertarians, but we live and feel like Tocquevillians, like conservative Americans who are embedded in civil society or patriotic. And by and by Randy, and you mean Ayn Rand? Ayn Rand, the yep. hardline, hardline, super libertarian, the uh, glorification of, I mean, capitalism to the excess as the be-all and end-all. And um, there is a disjuncture I see on the right between how we actually live and the account we give of ourselves. And where I think it's a problem is I just think that this hardline libertarian rhetoric it's kind of the default mode of speaking and thinking on the right, may work with a certain segment of the base and is probably good for fundraising. I just don't think it's very winsome if you want to win over converts and bring people to the movement. So this is what got me interested in this, is noticing this disjunction on the right between how we live and how we speak. And what does that mean for, for people? Why, why is it important for a conservative to know I'm a conservative or for a libertarian to know Maybe I'm not a libertarian, or maybe I am a libertarian. You know, wh- wh- why is that important? Well, I mean, the fundamental problem I see with libertarianism is that it's completely unsustainable. 
Uh, but maybe before we get there, let's begin by paying it its due and recognizing how seductive and appealing libertarianism is. And look, if you look at the academic literature, there are various strands of libertarians. There are minarchists and anarchists, left libertarians and right libertarians. I'm going to deal with the garden variety of libertarianism that you encounter mostly on college campuses. And that I think just seems to make so much sense. And it basically presents itself as consenting adults should be allowed to do whatever they want so long as they're not harming someone else, so long as they're not aggressing someone else. So they have what they call the NAP, the non-aggression principle. And they say this should pretty much govern all our interactions. So they're not saying we think that all of the actions that are permitted are moral. We just don't think that the government should be involved in them. So adults get to choose. You can use shame and stigma and you can be a Christian and not be a libertine in any way. But it is never the government's job to get involved in, as they like to say, legislating morality. And the appeal of that, especially if you're young or you're very intelligent, is one is the formidable simplicity of it. It reduces the irreducible complexity of politics to a simple principle. And the answer is pretty much always the same regardless of the issue. More liberty, less government. And then second, um, it's a pretty self-indulgent worldview. It basically tells you that you're allowed to do whatever the heck you want all the time, so long as you're not aggressing someone else. And it also tells you that other people's problems are never your problems unless you choose to make them so. Just a quick step aside from my interview with David. The right side of history, Jarrett and Fred, good friends, they are bosses when it comes to correcting history. Now, that's one of the ways that the left continues to move the ball in their favor, and they gain momentum from slightly correcting little bits of history as to justify action in the present. And this is a a podcast that helps us debunk some of those slight little white lies that have been starting to form uh, as the left continues to retell and reshape history. Now, an example of this, they have an episode Uh, called The Truth About Ted Kennedy and Chappaquiddick. Now, in light of the recent movie that came out, it's really hard to trust Hollywood as to what the actual story was. So it was a really good way to kind of check that movie against what actually happened. So this really is a great podcast where you can just jump in whenever you want to or wherever you want to. It's great for road trips. I highly recommend it. It's called The Right Side of History. Again, that's The Right Side of History. Log on and check it out. All right, let's get back to our conversation with David Azarad. You've talked about there being two kinds of liberty that exists. What do you mean by that? Well, I think there's the kind of self-centered liberty just for me. Uh, I get to do whatever I want so long as I don't aggress you. And then I think there's the conservative liberty that is modified with the concern for, if I may use a fashionable term from the left, sustainability. Hmm. Is this use of liberty sustainable over time? So I, I return to this line from the Constitution that I, I, I love. I think it's the mission statement for America. It's the most concise definition of conservatism I can think of. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. So to ask yourself, let's take the example of drugs. I mean, sure, I mean, should you be permitted in your closed room to fry your brains on heroin? I mean, it's a free country. You're not harming anyone. But then if you start to ask yourself as a conservative over time, 
What's going to happen to a country when more and more people start to do this? Yeah, I was. I mean, just the natural step for me goes to you might not be harming anyone uh, directly, but the pattern that you're creating and the what you're saying about our our nation and our identity and things like that. Maybe that me as a natural conservative says that is affecting it. That is making it a, a new norm that I'm not comfortable with. Perhaps here's the way to think about it: very few actions are wholly self-contained. They have a tendency to reverberate and spread across the political community. Now, of course, that's not an argument for banning everything you don't like, but it is an argument for thinking like statesmen, for taking a broad view, for asking yourself over the generations. I mean, this, I think, is another way to, to, to discuss sustainability. Conservatism thinks intergenerationally all the time. Yes, we have a due concern for the rights and liberties of the individual, but we also think about the interconnectedness of the generations and how th whether or not certain policies and behaviors are sustainable over time. And so on the issue of drugs, you know, the libertarians love to frame it as, well, why should is it if you smoke a joint that you should go to jail or have a record? And therefore, we should legalize everything, to which I say nonsense. I mean, you may want to consider decriminalizing the possession of small amounts of drugs, that doesn't require you then to legalize every drug known to man. Sitting around the table in a discussion or, heaven forbid, a discussion on Facebook, I, I see libertarians characterizing conservatives as being big government people for you know, being for or against something simply on moral grounds. What is typically your response in a debate when this argument comes up? I find that it usually comes up with the line, why do you want to legislate morality? And to which I say, what are you going to legislate if not morality? <laughs> what, what do you want to legislate? Theology? Do you want to legislate aesthetics? Do you want to legislate gastronomy? No, you legislate morality. The only question is, which kind of morality? And that, I was just going to ask you. That's so the next question. It always comes up. Who's so, morality? So libertarians claim that they don't want to legislate morality. That is not true. Of course they want to legislate morality. They want to legislate a very minimalist, radically individualist morality. They do think that if someone aggresses you or your property, you are legitimate to strike back. And if they believe in a government, that this person should be locked up. I, as a conservative, want to legislate conservative morality that is concerned with balancing a due concern for the rights of the individual with a concern for the common good, which I really define, I think, in terms of this intergenerational compact and thinking about sustainability. And by the way, progressives want to legislate progressive morality right. that is about banning hate speech and you name it. So we're all in the business of wanting to legislate morality. We disagree about which morality ought to be legislated. And I think the argument on behalf of conservative morality is that it really is the only one that is sustainable. And, and it's a balancing act between, yes, the liberty of the individual and the common good. And what's off-putting about it is that conservatism is not a science. It doesn't have a precise mathematical formula to tell you where you'll come down. So libertarians think, oh, well, this is the problem with conservatism. It can't give you clear answers, to which I say, this is politics. Th there's no such thing as political science. By the way, any, any discipline with the word science in it, is probably not a science, okay? Chemistry doesn't call itself chemistry science, and physics doesn't call itself physics science. 
if you feel the need to include the word science, it's probably that you don't feel good about your scientific bona fides, so you need to pretend you're more scientific than you are. It's not a science. Human beings are not matter in motion. That's why conservatives love to invoke this word of prudence, of cultivating good judgment and dealing with difficult uh, situations that are about balancing competing principles. I hear many voices in the libertarian movement urging us just forget about the borders. You know, we need more workers. So just open the borders up and let people come to America to work. What's your response to that? This idea that it is illegitimate for the government to restrict the entry into the country because borders are an an unfair restriction of liberty is utterly ridiculous. And then they have the temerity to invoke the founders and the Constitution and say, well, there's no power to regulate immigration in the Constitution. That's not true. It's found... uh, in the power to define and punish offenses against the laws of nation, the laws of nation include controlling your borders, or then they'll say, well, the founders were open borders. No, they won't. They adopted as a practical policy at the time a policy of encouraging immigration. But keep in mind that the states were controlling who could come in at the ports and were excluding a whole bunch of people. And then in any case, conditions change all the time. So what bothers me with libertarianism is not a prudential argument of we need more immigrants right now. It's the principled argument that the government should not be allowed to exclude people from the country. That is nonsense. I mean, that's basically saying we don't have a country. You know, if I may quote Donald Trump on this one, I think the smartest thing he said in the 2016 campaign was you either have a country or you don't. You either have borders or you don't. And any so-called political theory that is uncomfortable with borders is not a political theory. It's an economic theory masquerading as a political theory. Last question, and, and, and this has been so helpful, so thank you. When you go on the road and you take this speech um, around the country or uh, you're in a debate, what is the, the most common response that you get from people? Well, I should say many people agree with me, including many conservatives who kind of talk libertarian, but then they hear me out and like, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, I can care about liberty and the rights of the individual and not take it as far and as radical as the libertarians. To be a conservative doesn't require me to sacrifice my concern with individual liberty. It requires me to temper it and supplement it with something else. Now, the pushback I get from libertarians always is, okay, so you're saying we should do this, but who's going to do it? The government really doesn't have a very good distinguished track record of doing X, Y, and Z. And what I say to them is, look, as a conservative, I am suspicious of government interventions. But you as a libertarian have taken that suspicion and hardened it into an axiom into an absolute law of the universe that every government intervention, not just in markets, but also in in society, will inevitably be a failure. To which I say, where did you come up with that? That's just not true. And so to me, the hard task as a conservative is to think through, I mean, we have much to learn from the libertarians. I mean, they've produced a very helpful literature you know, public choice theory, regulatory capture, cronyism, all the things that can go wrong when even if you have the best of intentions, you want the government to intervene. But they draw the wrong conclusion from that. 
They, they're, I mean, you know, that's why so many of them flirt with anarchy. They come to say, well, we shouldn't have a government because everything that the government does is wrong. To which I say, that's not true. I want to be suspicious, but I then want to do the hard work of thinking through how to craft good government interventions, more in society than in markets, uh, to be honest with you, that are conducive to the common good. It's not an easy task. I want libertarians at the table to help me think through all that could go wrong. But at the end of the day, I don't see why I should believe them. This is just a prejudice of theirs, and they don't have evidence to back it up. The government is capable of doing certain things. David, I, I really appreciate you coming in today. Um, I'm going to link to your work as well as um, I'm hoping you can recommend some other works that we can give our listeners maybe to read to put more uh, meat on the bone here um, for why they believe what they believe. And, and again, thank you so much for coming in today. Pleasure was all mine. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. I've linked to a lot of different resources in the show notes in case you'd like to do a a deeper dive into this. It's a a thought-provoking subject, so I'm really excited to see the dialogue that transpires. Maybe it'll happen in the comments section. Go ahead and leave a comment if, if you feel led to do that. Also, maybe you'd consider yourself a libertarian. We'd especially love to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on this week's episode. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week when Michelle has a brand new one. See you then. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by Thalia Rampersad.